In today's podcast, I provide an introduction to cryptic moderation, a small biography about myself, Daniel Charles, provide the largest problem in American politics and what that is, and provide an update to the state of the American election. Let's go. Welcome to Cryptic Moderation, a political podcast from the independent moderate viewpoint. And now, please welcome your host, Daniel Charles. Welcome to Cryptic Moderation. My name is Daniel Charles, and in this podcast, we provide political commentary from the independent moderate perspective. Today is November 16th, 2020, and today is episode zero entitled The Pilot. In today's episode, our topics are an introduction to cryptic moderation, a brief biography of myself, Daniel Charles, a bit about my upbringing, my location, some of the things that you can extrapolate from my my hometown, um, why I chose to get into this political commentary, and what you can expect for future episodes. I also want to talk about the largest problem in American politics today and how we go about solving that problem. And finally, a state of the 2020 presidential election and my thoughts on how things will turn out in the end. So the first thing I want to do is provide a very basic introduction about myself before we get started. I don't want this podcast to be about me per se, but I am the one providing the content and I want you to understand where I'm coming from, who I am, uh, what my background is, and the lens upon which this podcast will have its viewpoints filtered through. So I'm 43 years old. And I am a resident of Western Pennsylvania. I've been lived here my whole life. I grew up about 20 miles northwest of the city of Pittsburgh. My parents, who are still with us, are still residents of the same house I grew up in as a kid. Um, they moved into that house in 1984 and have been there ever since. Uh, my dad was a steel worker. Uh, he is now retired and he lives at home. My mom was a homemaker and is still with my dad. They've been married since 1974, so a long time. Um, my parents are both staunch, dyed-in-the-wool Democrats. They have been my whole life, and they continue to be very advocate uh, Democrats. They speak out, and my dad is very active on social media for the Democratic cause, and he, he's that's one of his passions at this point in his life. I, myself, am a cybersecurity engineer. I've been in the IT field for the better part of the last 20 years. Um, I work for a very large corporation, and I love my work. I mean, uh, technology is something I am very passionate about. I love information security. I love talking about it. Anyone who will listen to me, I'll ramble on about technology till the cows come home. Um, technology and cybersecurity in particular requires an inquisitive mindset. It requires logic, uh, reason, and it requires somebody to think outside of the box in a lot of cases. So it's a very interesting field. It's a field that never gets stale. It's constantly changing and it requires lifelong learners. You just simply cannot learn one lane of technology and sit on it for 30 or 40 years. That's just not how it works. Things change constantly. Things evolve, things progress. What was new once upon a time becomes old hat in five years. Everything gets better and bigger and faster and it never stops. So. 
it is a difficult field to keep up with at times, but it is the challenge and the excitement that kind of keeps people going with it. So um, I would highly recommend it, but it's I understand it's not for everybody. So I guess the question that some of you might have after hearing that is, why would an engineer who secures computer networks for a living do a political podcast? And the answer to that is, I think that there aren't enough technology and logic-based people who are providing political opinions in this world. And I think there should be more. And, and the reason I think that is, technologists by and large are very data-driven, very logical people. They follow numbers and trends and can make decisions and see things ahead of time, maybe better than the average person can. Maybe even better than the law guy or the poli science person or a business person or somebody who would be normally your your typical political advocate or somebody who would be providing political banter. So I think there's need to be more of us in this in this lane. And I think by taking the political response in that lens, we can take both sides of the political aisle, both the left and the right, and meet in the middle. My, myself, am a registered independent. I have never been registered as a Democrat or a Republican in my life. In terms of presidential electoral voting, I voted for both Democrats. I voted for Republicans. And usually I will take stock of the election as a collective, look at my home, look at my local community, look at my state, my, my country, and say, what candidate provides the best future as a collective for everybody? Is there one candidate who stands out in one lane, but maybe not in another? Is one problem greater than the next? And if it's an incumbent president we're looking at, did that person do well enough to earn another four years in office? Uh, if we're in a, an election year where neither candidate is in, in, an incumbent, we have a new president coming down the lane, then I wanna see what both of those folks have done in their past and perhaps what they stand for in the future. And based off of those criteria, I'll make a choice in that lane. So I, I voted for different candidates over the years, and I'm proud to say I voted for Democrats and I voted for Republicans. I've voted for both sides of the political fence. And I think that we need more of that in this country. There are a lot of people that will go to the, the voting booth or they'll go to their mail-in ballot and they will pull a lever of a color or they'll just circle in all the candidates from one party. And I think that's a, a, a poor decision in a lot of cases good to know what you're actually doing, what your vote is going for in those situations. There's not enough research and middle ground to be had there. And I think this particular podcast, the reason why I called it cryptic moderation, is I want to take both sides and try to meet in the middle. The, something that we've lost here in America is the ability to negotiate in terms of political viewpoints. And that's something that I think we need to get back to. And that will bring me to my second topic of today. What is the largest problem in American politics and how do we solve it? As you look at a television dial here in 2020, you have a lot of options for political news. You can click on the television and choose CNN. You can click on the television and choose Fox. You can click on the television and choose ABC, CBS, 
Newsmax, there's a ton of options. But something that we've fell victim to in this country is that most politics in the United States is leaning very heavily to one side or another. And the media, I think, is the key problem here, but the polarization of American politics is its largest problem. We have very loud advocates from both sides of the fence. We have very loud leftists. We have very loud right advocates. We do not have a lot of people in the middle because those extremes get ratings. You get a lot of people salivating for that controversial, aggressive, borderline crazy commentary. That's what sells. And that's what they've sold people on. So you get a lot of people on television who have very controversial viewpoints or very, you know, stretching the, the boundaries of sanity viewpoints. And that's what people salivate for. That's what gets attention. Well, that's not what's good for the country. That's not healthy. We've taken our politics here in the United States and we've weaponized it. Everyone's against everybody else. If I'm a Democrat and I'm supporting pro-choice and I'm supporting you know, gun regulations, I am absolutely villainizing the other side or they're villainizing me. We're not looking at each other as Americans. We're looking at each other as adversaries. And that's the challenge. And, and the media is primarily responsible for this. And social media doesn't help anymore either because they're censoring so much stuff. And most of it is censored from the left to the right. So the, the, the liberal media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, etc., are censoring a lot of right-side politics. It's just crazy. You know, I could be a leftist and say whatever I want, you know, show Antifa videos, but the minute somebody says Trump, you know, is still challenging the election and they put something regarding, you know, the ballot counts in Pennsylvania or Michigan, you know, we get this little disclaimer at the bottom that says Joe Biden has been declared the winner. Well, you know, CNN, Facebook, Twitter, you don't get to make that call. That's a polarizing statement. Talk to us when the Electoral College speaks and votes on the 14th of December. Then you can make that statement. The problem with American politics is we are divided. Like I said previously, I am 43 years old, and in my lifetime, I can never remember a time in our history we have such violent division between the left side of the fence and the right side of the fence. We may not agree on policy, you know, we might not have viewpoints that align, but my goodness, if somebody else has a viewpoint that doesn't agree with you, you don't have to go punch them upside the head or hit them with a bat. And that seems to be where we've gone. A couple of friends of mine live on the west coast of the United States. Some of them live in Northern California and a couple of them live in Oregon. And I've gotten some firsthand accounts of the city of Portland. And let me tell you what they're telling me is scary. It's it's not what you would expect to hear in a first world world country, let alone the United States. The things Antifa in are doing to local businesses, to the city at large. Why anyone would ever want to go to Portland, Oregon for any reason right now is beyond me. I have no answers. I guess if you have family or friends that you want to go visit there, good luck. It sounds absolutely ridiculous but this is where we're at here in 2020 we've we've let political nonsense divide us to such a degree where we have 
an entire left-wing political group taking over a city and the local government letting it happen. That's deplorable in my opinion. It's just crazy. You can have a voice. Your First Amendment right allows you to have freedom of speech. You are allowed to protest. You're allowed to say your piece. But what you really can't do or you should not be able to do is take that right and use it to harass, belittle, violently attack citizens of the country who you may feel don't share your viewpoint. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. And unfortunately, that division, that vitriol is fueling this problem. And it's not just left-wing activists. There are Proud Boy groups. There are white supremacist groups. There are other groups on the right side that are doing similar things, although they are not taking over American cities and harassing citizens. They may not stand for things. They may have rallies and cause problems in Charlottesville like we saw in 2018. But what I can tell you is that neither side needs to be accosting citizens because we don't share same or similar views. That's out of line. There has to be some means to meet in the middle. And this particular podcast, my goal is to take the skills from being that cybersecurity engineer, that network engineer, that network architect, those abilities to take a look at what you have, build an architectural design, test things, build things again, make sure things function. Take that logical mindset and apply it to political problems that we have, at least through the lens of this podcast, and say, okay, yeah, we have this problem here that the left says X, and here's what the right says Y. We need to find middle ground somewhere and meet in the middle. And my goodness, right now we need it more than ever. I think most of us that have had kids will resonate with that. I have two stepkids that are in their 20s now, but when they were younger children, you would get child A and child B fighting. When you sat down with them to figure out why they were fighting, you would get story A and story B. And the general consensus was the truth lies somewhere in the middle. And in the American political scheme, we have to figure out a way to negotiate. You know, both sides aren't going to get everything they want, but both sides should get something. Both sides should get a positive victory. Doesn't mean you're going to get everything you want all the time. And that's another problem we have in this country. A lot of younger people in particular have gotten everything they want all the time. That's not how life works. You get some things you want in life most of the time. You don't get everything you want all the time. And we need to get back to that. We need to learn to negotiate. That skill set has just disintegrated in a sea of vitriol and partisanism. And unfortunately, there's no end in sight. It's getting worse every year. I don't even want to know what the 2024 election year is going to look like. Because goodness, 2020 has been a pretty suboptimal year for everyone. I don't think there's going to be too many people that look fondly on this calendar year. I just don't. And one of those things that we'll look back on is this division in politics. And the only way we solve it is take both sides, come together using logical, data-driven processes and finding middle grounds that we can agree on. We need to take the 
vitriolic and aggressive groups, be it Antifa, be it Proud Boys, be it whoever. We need to rein those folks in, get them off the streets, get them, stop harassing cities, stop destroying the livelihoods and businesses of some hardworking people. And we need to find a way to negotiate and figure out what both sides want and find things that we can agree to. Because right now, what we're doing isn't working. Final topic in today's podcast will be a state of the election and my opinion as to what will occur here between now and January 20th. So as most of you are aware, on November 3rd here in the United States, we voted for the president and based off of the tabulation of a record number of mail-in ballots as well as in-person voting, it would appear that Joe Biden will be the 46th president of the United States. Now, a lot of media outlets have already declared that and proclaimed that Joe Biden will win. A handful of conservative places have not and contend that there's voter fraud, mail-in ballot fraud, dominion system voting fraud, the way some of the states chose to change laws at the last minute to make mail-in voting far less scrutinized than it should be, perhaps. I live in Pennsylvania, so I live in one of the swing states that this occurred in, and I can say from my opinion anyway that I was not particularly a fan of the way the Pennsylvania government here chose to make their decisions in changing mail-in ballot laws within 48 hours of the election. I just think it's crass. I think that's reeks of fraud. Like If you want to make the argument of fraud, why would you make changes so close to the election that make mail-in ballots, which are predominantly used by one party, far more easy and far more accessible to count to your state when your state is clearly a battleground and one that may determine the outcome of the election. It's not to say that that's fraudulent in and of itself, but that definitely provides the argument or credence to the notion that there could be fraud when you make changes that soon to the election date. There's also reports that a lot of the Republican poll watchers were unable to view what was happening in some very, very Democratic-run places. My home city of Pittsburgh, which has been run by Democrat mayors for the last 90 years, Wayne County, Michigan, home of Detroit, and Philadelphia, to name the three most egregious. Do I think that these claims hold water for Republicans? I think if Donald Trump has a leg to stand on, it is here in Pennsylvania. I do believe that from a logic perspective, I don't think it's very ethical to make changes to your voting laws within 48 hours of the actual election taking place. More notably, I think the law that they did push through has the potential to be overturned by the Supreme Court because there is a logical argument to say that mail-in voting with no signature matching, with no postmark evaluation, provides itself as a two-tiered voting system as the scrutiny for those ballots is significantly lower than when I have to go into the polling location here in my hometown, be verified by an individual at the door, and then vote based off of my name and my, my, my appearance at that voting booth. 
So there is a, a case to be made, I think, in Pennsylvania. The other states, I think there is a very, very low chance that anything occurs. Uh, I don't think there's enough proof that I've seen to say that there was voter fraud in terms of the Dominion system. Um, if you do have some proof, some reverse engineering through software engineer that can show that the system, when you press a vote for Trump, actually goes to Joe Biden or is somehow deleted by the system, if you can show me a reverse engineering of that and let me watch it through a, a reverse engineer platform or some uh, software tree, then maybe I'd be interested in seeing that. But I think if you had that kind of a smoking gun, we would have already heard. So unless you can provide some really concrete evidence that there was some actual voter fraud, I don't think there will be enough ammunition to change the outcome of this election. So in my opinion, Joe Biden will be your next president in the United States. Now, from a personal perspective, I that's disappointing to me. Uh, I voted for Donald Trump, and the reason I voted for Donald Trump here in Western Pennsylvania is simple. This local area, the one that I live in in particular, is very dependent on the fossil fuel industry. As of 2010, 40% of all workers here in this area identified themselves as a truck driver or a contractor, most of whom work for gas well companies or coal mining companies here in town. So if the fossil fuel industry is hindered or goes under in any manifest, a lot of my neighbors and, and fellow residents of this town will suffer and they'll lose their jobs or potentially have to move away. Furthermore, it might make my town untenable. I might turn it into Flint, Michigan, where one industry was solely responsible for the economic viability of the town. So if that's the case, I'd have to move. You know, we can't live in an unsafe, untenable hometown. So there's a lot of local incentive to vote for Donald Trump. Uh, as Joe Biden has repeatedly said, uh, he can b backtrack it all he wants the last month of the election. But if you actually listen to his campaign speeches and you research his, his platform, and Kamala Harris is worse, uh, they both want to kill away fracking. They both want to kill away the coal mining industry, fossil fuels in general. Uh, almost as to the degree that they want to wipe out the petroleum industry in its entirety. So I think that rubs people the wrong way. I think that scares people in this town. Um, and yes, I do think Donald Trump had some problems with coronavirus, no doubt. I also think Donald Trump is a blowhard and makes stuff up as he goes along and doesn't do his research when he spouts off on Twitter. But if you separate the man from the record, much like the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, Pittsburgh, one of the most liberal cities in the country. Pittsburgh Post-Gazette endorsing Donald Trump. The reason they endorsed Donald Trump is the same reason I voted for him. If you take the man away from his actual record and what he's accomplished from a foreign policy perspective, an economic perspective, and an infrastructure perspective, you actually get a pretty successful president. Yes, COVID-19 has been bungled in a lot of ways. He should have shut the country down sooner, downplaying it in terms of public panic is fine if you don't want to incite panic and downplay it that way great but you've got to make that shutdown two weeks before it happened particularly when you saw and you actually look at new york city as an entity what place in the world was less of a powder keg than new york city new york city thrives on shared air everyone's in a high-rise everyone's in an apartment complex when you travel in new york city you're either walking you're taking a taxi cab or you're taking a subway car Guess what? Two of those three options, shared air. 
everyone is jumbled on top of each other in New York City. The population density is insane. Nursing homes, still to this day, shared air, high volume population of very susceptible COVID patients. It's all the recipe for disaster. And that's why New York City exploded and became a massive problem in March. And unfortunately, the country definitely has COVID fatigue at this point, And it's starting to flare up again as the winter months get closer. So yes, I think Donald Trump failed in a lot of ways on coronavirus. And in that, his economic positives that he garnered through his administration disintegrated in a very short time frame when you shut down 35, 40% of the American economy because of coronavirus. So therein lies the problem. Um, I felt that Donald Trump did enough to earn four more years, but it would look like we are on the precipice of a Joe Biden administration. I think when he does get into office, I think he will. When he does get into office, you will see a very similar rhetoric as you did with Barack Obama. You will see very similar policy decisions. You will see a very large degree of executive orders. You will see a lot of Trump policy getting reversed with executive orders. You'll see border openings. You'll see the ACA get re-emboldened. You'll see a lot of things that Barack Obama did go back into the mainstay. Whether or not that's a good thing is yet to be seen. It is my opinion that open borders is a problem. I don't think that's an ideal situation. If you want to come into the United States through its legal channels, please do. But if you're an illegal immigrant, that is a crime. There's a reason why the United States has a means to come into this country in a legal way. Every other civilized country in the world does the same. I cannot just walk into Canada as my own volition and just show up in Canada and start being a Canadian citizen. There's a protocol that I have to do to go to Canada. There's a very severe protocol if I want to go to Australia. It's extremely rigid. It's not just simply walking on an airplane, going to Sydney and just showing up there and saying, well, I'm going to stay here. It's not that simple. Every other country in the world has a protocol and a system to become a citizen or a member of that society. Why the United States would be any different in 2020 is beyond me, given COVID-19, be it terrorism, be it whatever medium you choose to leverage as a means to limit the amount of people that should be flowing across open borders. Right now, more than ever, there needs to be accountability for it. But that's my opinion, and that's a topic for another day. In closing, I want to thank you for joining me here in the pilot episode of Cryptic Moderation. If you've enjoyed the commentary, please comment below and let me know what you'd like to hear next time. Until then, thank you for listening, and I'll see you in episode one.